to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by Will Lomas of TitanSize.com, uh, a member of the Fanside Tennessee Titans website, who's also the co-host of the No Nonsense podcast, to do a very Tennessee Titans-centric episode of the podcast, because as y'all know, I'm a big Tennessee Titans fan, probably the only Texans fan who can claim that sort of uh, love in my heart. How are you doing tonight, Will? Yeah, I'm good. Um, not as good as y'all are in, in your fan bases, probably. But, you know, I, I'm I'm happy to be on the pod and talk about this and vent out my frustrations. Yeah. See, like, Texans fans, just about all of them hate the Tennessee Titans. But, I don't know, <laughs> I kind of, like, fell in love with them whenever Mike Malarkey was the head coach. Because, like, exotic meth mouth was a meme, you know. Like, oh, be, you know, <laughs> run the football, you, you know, is stupid because of, you know, it's the passing so much more efficient and all that. But then, like, the pendulum swung so far in one direction that, you know, running the ball became good when everybody was running six-man boxes. And, like, the trick plays they ran were fun. And, like, how, like, weird it was with uh, Marcus Mariota at the same time. And uh, and whenever he had that self-sec touchdown against Kansas City. And I always forget the name. of It's like he's been memory hold for me. But the running back from Dallas who went to Tennessee. who had one oh, really DeMarco good, Murray. Yeah, DeMarco Murray. And then yeah. him and Derek Henry at the same time kind of bridging the gap between the two. But... The offensive line's always been fun to watch, and I don't know, the Titans play like a very unique brand of football, and with like such a game that's built for like efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. You know, the Titans are a brush of fresh air, fresh air for the rest of the league. Yeah, I mean they're they're fun, like you said. It is frustrating as it was to watch them put Derrick Henry behind Demarco Murray, and then have them take him out to give Deion Lewis reps for years. It has always <laughs> been fun to be, you know, at least on paper too deep at running back and to be able to swing so far away from conventional wisdom that, I mean, when you're slightly off center, people think you're stupid. When you do something completely different, people think you're innovative. And so I don't know if that would, they were always forward thinking and we're always like, we're going to commit to fullbacks and tight ends and we're going to make everybody, you know, throw their dime corners and, you know, throw, throw everybody off the field that they spend first and second round picks on and get fifth round linebackers in there. But it ended up working for them long enough to where they could construct a team that could win in multiple ways. But yeah, after you go two and 14, one year and three and 13, the other year, you know, Mike Malarkey and just not Ken Wisenhunt is mm-hmm. always more fun. And so I'll always have a soft spot in my, in my heart for him. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're mildly fun to watch sometimes, which is the best brag I can give the Titans. Yeah. I, uh, whenever a playoff coach, whenever a head coach gets fired after winning a playoff game, I was talking Malarkey now, too, after what happened to him after they mm-hmm. beat the Chiefs and then they brought him Vrabel after that. So the Titans this year have had kind of a strange season where they started off, you know, being completely unable to do anything when they try to run boot play action passes right to Chandler Jones in week one, and uh, which was one of the, like the funniest things ever after losing mm-hmm. Arthur Smith and that's what they came out with, to, you know, beating Seattle in a close game, to go on the big win streak that they had, all while suffering, you know, major cataclysmic injuries and during that run too they had the probably my my favorite game of the year was that win against Buffalo where you know Josh Allen was stopped on not one but two quarterback sneaks 
Uh, but during that run, they beat some really great teams like Buffalo, Kansas City, and the Los Angeles Rams. But they also have lost two games to terrible teams, to New York Jets and the Houston Texans. Uh, against the bottom feeders, which one of those losses hurt the most? Uh, the Jets. The Jets is way worse because at that point, they were you know, 2-1. and one. They had the game against the Jets. Then they had the game against the Colts coming up. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I think we just played the game against the Colts. And so if we beat them, we were three and one heading into Kansas City, Buffalo, back to back, you know, Buffalo on a Monday night and then Kansas City on a short week on a Sunday. Like in no world did Titans fans at any point of optimism in the offseason think that they were going to win both of those games. So when you lose to the Jets and then you're two and two sitting at what is probably going to be two losses and two home losses like that that was terrifying. I mean, that was staring down the barrel at the end of the season. So that much more heartbreaking. And also because it also felt like if you'd given the Titans one more minute, they would have scored a touchdown. Like they moved the ball and in overtime they stopped uh, the Jets on a, on a third and one. They forced them to a field goal. The Titans win every overtime game they're in, it feels <laughs> like. So it felt like they were just they just ran out of time. The, the Texans game I mean, it, it, they never felt like they were in it. I mean, they just, they looked lackadaisical and they just, I mean, any sort of like AJ Brown got hurt on the first play and that, like, then he got hurt two more times after that. And he, you know, Marcus Johnson pulls his hamstring, like running a vertical route. Like I, uh, it, it was, it was all bad. So it just never, it felt like every time we took one step forward, we took two steps back. So that one never had any hope in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that AJ Brown play, you know, I think Houston's run cover three on it. And the Texans have run cover three a lot and over and over again, the middle fields open. And Ryan Tannehill just missed them too far outside, which let, you know, A.J. Brown could have caught that pass, but let, you know, Justin Reed to come up and leave a hit. And, like, Reed's been doing that a lot from the safety position. So it kind of led to itself by the way, where he hurt his hand and hurt his chest later that game, too. Um, there's a lot of reasons for why the Tynes, game, Tynes lost this game. And we kind of go through these. Um, the first one that, and the reason why they fell behind early on in the game was that they were one and five on third down and oh one and fourth down. They had finished the game six to fifteen on third down because Ryan Tannehill threw like forty three passes and was able to you know hit some kind of like easy shots in the flat to convert on third down. And that same pass he had at targeting you know Zach Cunningham using an A gap blitz, having to go back out to the flat as a smoke. It was an impossible coverage task at all, but. Um, they ended up going two and four and fourth down as well, too. What was the problem with the Titans' third down offense in that first half whenever they were shut out completely? So, first of all, I, we have to start with the scripted plays because we'll talk a lot about Todd Downing today. So, he's he's terrible, and we'll touch on that over and over <laughs> and over again because it's a point that needs to be hammered home. But the scripted plays for the Titans have been terrible, which is the first two drives they come out in are the ones that seem to be the scripted ones. Uh, over the entire season, I think they have one touchdown on all the scripted plays, and it's it's just embarrassing. There's no flow. There's never any flow to the Titans games now that Arthur Smith's gone. It's just whatever Todd Downing decides he wants to do that day. So when you get in third down, like the third downs are usually like third and eight, like third and seven, mm-hmm. because something else has gone wrong like along the way. So that's aggravating in and of itself. But then on fourth down, it seemed like their plan was we're just going to run Adrian Peterson up the middle on like a dive. And Roger Saffold had his worst day blocking of the season. But it, it's not even really his fault. Like that's not what they do. 
Like the the entire the reason why the offense scored thirty points a game last year and why they were so good is they would run outside zone and they would run boots off of that and they would make you go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and then they would hit you up the middle. Now, like, and, you know, Derrick Henry's not there, but they weren't doing it when Derrick Henry was there. Now they just want to run inside so much, and it's like Todd Downing has a number of rushes he feels like he has to get through Mm -hmm. before he can run his empty sets. I mean, it's like a kid eating his vegetables. (laughs) So he chooses to do them in these obvious situations, and it gets him killed. And so uh, they they just – they. They don't know what they are, and that's the biggest problem with this team so far is that you get in these critical down and distances and either Tannehill makes a play or one of the good players make a play or one of the backups end up screwing something up or they can't get the job done because they're not talented enough to overcome the play calling. Mm, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And like that Pearson play call, like I didn't think it was necessarily terrible because the Texans have an awful run defense this year, but it's putting Adrian Peterson in that position where like he has poor vision I've been calling him like a robo tripping Adrian Peterson. Like he's just had a bunch of robot tests and he's like yeah. slowed down at half speed. You know, he's like, he's chopped and screwed this year. And like, that's not who the guy you even give the ball to him for. Dale. Like, I love the idea of Peterson in Tennessee. You know, like, I think it's a hilarious, like, you know, uh, fit and like the idea of it's really funny, but he's not very good at all right now. The other problem here is that Ryan Tannehill threw four interceptions. Um, of the four, which one was the worst, do you think? Oh, they're all they're all so heartbreaking in different ways. Um, so two of them, uh, the rookie Des Fitzpatrick ran the wrong route. Mm-hmm. Like so that that's that's I can sort of ease my pain there. But the first one that he threw that was staring down AJ Brown, like the whole Todd Downing's whole plan was, and you could see it early, was to throw it to AJ as much as possible. Like they were going to try to get him out of a funk that he's been in for the past couple of games and try to make him feel like he was a number one receiver again, which when he's on, he's great. But the past two weeks he's been bad and he's dropped a lot of passes and they've overcome it. And this past game he got hurt and, you know, just couldn't make any tough catches, you know, which is fine. But it, like they, they were, I think he had seven targets and he only played half the snaps. And most of those came, I mean, I think all of those snaps came in the first half. So, I mean, he's basically just like the entire offense and the focal point. And so when you run that slant, Tannehill's staring him down the whole way and he just misses the underneath. I mean, I'm not even sure if you can call it a miss. It was just like he ignored him. Like mm-hmm. it, he was waiting for AJ to get out of his break. And that's what makes it so hard is because, it's not like he was going through his progressions and he just made a mistake. It was like he he's got to be at a point as a quarterback where he knows, okay, they're drop you know, this is the defense. I'm seeing the linebacker dropping. I don't know where I'm gonna throw it, but even if this is the one route on that play, I've just got to throw it in the dirt and get to the next play because this is not gonna work. And, you know, they they've got so many injuries, he just has to press, and that was really the first one where it started to feel like they had momentum and then immediately lost it. So that, that was, that was the tough one. Yeah. that one was on third down as well too. And the Texans, mm-hmm. you know, they've been, I don't know. One of the things that's been kind of fresh about Levy Smith this year is that he just kind of shows his defense. <laughs> like, like, yeah. you know, like, like watching like the coaches film, you're like, okay, this is a cover two shell. This is a cover three shell. This is a man coverage shell. And like, 
against Miami, there was one play where they show blitz and then roll to cover two, and they were able to get a stop off of it. I think Levy was like, wait, you can do that? That works. And so <laughs> that interception there at Tannehill, they show double A gap pressure. They don't play they don't play cover one. They roll to cover two. And you have Cam McGregor Hill in the in the in the hook who makes the interception. And like he's been one of the you know three good Nick Casero signs this offseason. But yeah, I agree. I think that was the worst one too. And like at least took three points off the ball. It also put Houston into red zone uh possession on their on the offense immediately and it reminded me a lot of that interception that Winnie Merciless had two years ago where you know they throw the the slant flat I think that was only fourth and one Justin Reed comes down makes a great hit on the ball the ball pops up Merciless is staying there like with his back from the quarterback picks it off then runs it like 92 yards down and then Houston scores immediately afterwards and then they went three for three in the Reds in that game to be able to kind of lock down the division in 2019 and that interception was like very similar to that one that Merciless had yeah like I, I remember that one because uh like you said I think it was Reed it was because it was Anthony Ferkser for the Titans because I, I know it like as it hit him in the chest he got hit in the back and it just mm-hmm. popped out and I was like I remember I was at that game and I was like, well, that's unlucky. And then it goes right to the defender and I was like, well, that's just super unlucky. And then he just, I'm like, oh man, he's going to house this on a play that, you know, a, any other fraction of a second off and it's a touchdown for the Titans. And it was that, I think that was a pretty close game. Like, I think that ended up being like a one score like, yeah, or maybe like a 10 point game or something. And I like, it, it's one of those things where you, you know, that the Texans would have played the game, game differently from there on, but you're in your head. You're like, oh, they almost won that one. Yeah, but, that was a 14-point yeah. swing, and I mean, it wasn't that much. It was like at least a 10-point 10 10 swing mm-hmm. in this one. Uh, but it really kind of changed the, t- the the beginning of it dramatically. My next one here is the Todd Downey play calling. And so you mentioned it, you know, and I, I really like the, the analogy of, you know, that it's like the inside run plays or him eating his broccoli until he can get to, yeah. you know, kind of like the ice cream sundae portion of it. And one of the things that interested me with the Titans whenever Henry went out was that, like, I always like, I think I liked Tannehill more than maybe the Titans did in a sense, where I thought he could be like a good shotgun, like four wide, re- four wide receiver set. You know, quarterback, they just didn't run it very often because of how good, you know, Henry was and our identity was and everything else. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe it may help them out in the long run to be able to play more shotgun spread, uh, have a better feel for it. So whenever Henry's back potentially for the postseason, now you have a mismatching of two separate offenses. So if you fall behind, you're not you're completely screwed at all. Uh, do you buy that at all right now with Ryan Tannehill in this offense? Do you think maybe there's a, a monkey, not monkey's paw, but a silver lining to the Derrick Henry injury? So that's kind of what I thought at first, but that was back when we had AJ and Julio. Now you've got Nick Westbrook, Aquina, and Des Fitzpatrick, and it's like, you know, in theory, I like I, I like a like a five wide, four wide offense that can spread everything out. Like, and I think that works for him. But the problem is, the entire offensive line is built on athletic guys who are zone blockers who all looked better when they were running that outside zone play action. And Tannehill looked better. Like, you know, the wide receivers had more time to get off coverage. The offensive line didn't have to block as much because that, you know, every every defensive lineman was trying to stay in their gaps and not trying to penetrate. And instead of making quick decisions, he could Tannehill could rely on his athleticism, boot out, you know, you had the easy dump off to the tight end, or you could, you know, you could pick which level you wanted to attack. And now we've got so, I mean Tannehill threw it 52 times on Sunday. Remember, this was a downpour. 
this is not like <laughs> it was a downpour. Like not only was it a terrible like climate to throw in, he had also lost AJ Brown and Marcus Johnson by late in the second quarter. And those guys are like AJ is obviously the wide receiver one on the team. But I mean, I could make the argument that Marcus Johnson is the wide receiver three or four. So you're down to basically your five, six, and seven. And Des Fitzpatrick, the guy who caught the touchdown pass and was responsible for two of the interceptions, he was on the practice squad nine days ago mm-hmm. before they brought him up, and he's been playing scout team. Like, he doesn't know the plays. Like, there's clips of Tannehill on the sideline trying to tell Des Fitzpatrick what they're going to do before they go do it. Like, so, like, all of this to say that in an ideal world, like you could maybe, you know, use this team to go for four wide, be more aggressive, but the blueprint and all the players were just right there to just run the same exact thing. Like Todd mm-hmm. Downing had been the tight ends coach. Like he, like Arthur Smith left the playbook on his desk when he left. Like, I mean, you had a one to one. I mean, the only player they replaced on offense was Corey Davis with Julio Jones. Everybody else was the same except John U. Smith, who was easily replaceable because he wasn't even like a he wasn't even their best. Yeah, it's like he wasn't even their best pass catching tight end. Like, and that was the best thing that he did. Like, and and I like John U., but it's insane what the Patriots did to yeah. give him that money. But but that's that's a different argument. But the my thing is, Downing was brought in and promoted under the assumption that not even under the assumption they uh, the auspices they just said this is continuity. Like we're building something. We had LaFleur and we went from LaFleur to Arthur Smith. You should trust us that we're going to go from Arthur Smith to Todd Downing and run the same offense. And they just haven't. I mean, that Tannehill was the used more play action passes than any other quarterback last year in week 10 against the saints. He had seven play action passes last week in 52 attempts. He had six play action passes. I mean, six play action passes, <laughs> Like I said, in this situation where they were running the ball well, I mean, they had two guys with four and a half yards or more yard uh, like per attempt. They just stopped doing that. So, you know, I, I think uh, I think you're right. Like, I mean, I liked him in Miami. I I didn't necessarily want to trade for him, but when Miami at the contract, I was fine with it. But the the fact is, like, as much as he could thrive, you've already seen him be you know the lead the point guard in a thirty point per game offense, like. Just keep doing that, even if the running game isn't as effective. That's my point mm-hmm. behind the whole thing. Yeah, that makes sense, and I and I do think that's like a big part of it too. It's just like the injuries of the wide receiver position that it does limit the ability to do so. I didn't pick up on you know Des not being able to know the playbook and not running routes like that, and that's the things I'll watch for whenever I watch the video, especially those two you know, Desmond King interceptions as well later in the game. But yeah, like I love Arthur Smith, and like whenever it was coming down to the Texans head coaching search, I was like. Yeah, I want Arthur Smith or you know Brian Dable, but uh, the Texans didn't run like a real head coaching search, you know, and so yeah. like, actual head coaching <laughs> candidates were an option at all. But it's been fun to watch, see what he did with Cordell Patterson, and it's like the John o. Smith platonic ideal is what Cordell Patterson is in Atlanta right now. But I love Arthur Smith though; his yeah, red I mean, zone offense great. is so funny. He scared he scared me to death because I was like, he's either going to go to Jacksonville or he's going to go to Houston, and he's going to bring Corey Davis with him. And that they're gonna figure. I was like, it's gonna be Trevor Lawrence and Corey Davis and That'd that be offense. Horrifying. 
Yeah, like it's I mean, it's like that that would be effective enough like what's going on in Atlanta right now. It's like it's effective enough to get the fans behind him and really give him the leverage to do what he wants this offseason. So, I mean, I, I think he's going to be scary in Atlanta. I wish it would have gone poorer for him so he'd come back and be our OC, but I, I think that ship has sailed. Yeah, it's fun watching Jackson just run, like, isolation vertical routes without a wide receiver who can make those catches at all. And, like, having Lawrence just, like, have nowhere to go with the ball uh, with Irmire right now. So the next one I have here is the injuries. And so yeah. the ties have gone through. Bud Dupree's on IR right now. Julio Jones is on IR, who I think, like, I had dropped him in fantasy in the fourth round. He hasn't finished, like, the last three or four games as well, too. Marcus Johnson hurt his hamstring. Um, Derek Henry, who's out the Jones fracture. Nate Davis with the concussion. And then they brought in, um, he, went to, he went to my college, Texas State. Uh, he, Corey Davis. Not, no, Aaron Nate Brewer. Da- Aaron oh, Brewer. Aaron Brewer yeah. replaced Nate yeah. Davis. That's right. I always blank yeah. on his name. They remind me very similar, except... Brewer's like 40 pounds lighter than Nate Davis. And yeah, then yeah, Rashawn, exactly right. Rashawn Evans and David Longrout, this week at linebacker, and A.J. Brown left with the injury too. Um, and then also in co- combination of that too is the weather, like you mentioned. Tannehill threw 53 passes because they were down by you know three scores at one point. And then you had a drenched Mike Vrabel who didn't believe in a rain jacket at all, which was just really showing his toughness, you know. And then you had yeah. uh, David Coley who looked like a, a crab fisherman in Alaska. So the telecast was a lot of fun. I don't know if being in the game was as much fun as a telecast, mm-hmm. but it was funny seeing, you know, big, strong, wet, tough Mike Vrabel and David Coley in his big rain jacket, you know. I mean, the Vrabel of it all is just he's – I, I think he does it on purpose. I think it started off as an accident with, you know, the chest pads and, you know, being physical defensive linemen in practice. But I think he's like, I think he just gets off to the fact that he's like, people think I'm the toughest guy, the toughest coach in the league. And every time it seems like they come up with one of those, like who would win, in, which co- head coach would win in a fight? And it's like, oh, I think it'd be Mike Vrabel or something. I'm like, I think he just gets off to that and he loves to do <laughs> stuff like that. I think he saw that it was raining and he was like, I might just wear like a wife beater and just like go out there and just, you know, get soaked in it. And I'm like, he's he's annoyingly tough. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's like a four yeah. truck commercial. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're not a real person, right? Like, you know, you, you go off and you've got to be freezing. But uh, so it's like it's even worse than that. Like they're also missing like their number one tight end, Jeff Swain. They were missing their starting corner and Jackrabbit Jenkins, who like wouldn't be a I mean, it wouldn't be a big issue if if he wasn't in. But the fact that Caleb Farley tore his ACL and then uh, Chris Jackson, the guy they used to replace him, is like he'll probably need foot surgery at the end of the year. He, he I mean, his foot's been messed up for three weeks, but he's having a play because he just has to. Mm-hmm. And then they're missing Jeremy McNichols. Who's their third down running back. Like, I mean, he's one of their best, like, or most consistent receivers in like the little dump off that, that area where Hilliard was so good, but. And, and yeah, Darrington I mean, Evans and Batson are out too. Yeah. And it's like all and these weird like, little, like I just try to name the big ones for, yeah. for the show, but like, yeah, there's also all yeah. these weird little ones too. And I did forget about you know, Jenkins and I forgot about Farley and, but yeah, there's just even like trying to come up with a list of all of them. It's nearly impossible to do so right now. Yeah. It's so it's brutal. Like, you know, and you see all those graphs and it's like, look at how big this circle is and where it is on this chart. This is how injured they are. And I'm like, yeah, but like even like no matter what graph you use, like it's hard to rep- to to show what an impact it has to where for zero back-to-back games this year, 
Tannehill has never had the same offensive line week to week or wide receivers week to week. Mm-hmm. Neither one. Like it's not like he's had his offensive line for five weeks and receivers for four weeks. Like he's never back to back had the same guys go out there at wide receiver and offensive line, which is insane. I mean that nobody around the league is having to deal with that, and it's not like they're you know. It's not like they're putting guys that they groomed to be backups in there. It's like they're putting Bobby Hart that they got in off the street yeah. because and he was Tyson okay Blair too. Was, yeah, I mean, like he was. <laughs> like, put Aaron Donald on him and he put him in a blender, and I was like, oh, you cannot, like, you cannot play this guy. And like, it, I don't know, man. It's just like the guy, like they're having to pull guys off the practice squad to play, like, not even their own practice squad, like other practice mm-hmm. squads to play, like left tackle and wide receiver, and it's just like. At a certain point, you know, it's not next man up. You just run out of guys, and you're just like, well, I guess we hope this guy knows the playbook, and it's brutal to watch. So I have all the there's things happening for the Titans to lose this game to, you know, one-win Texans team. Which one was the biggest reason for the loss, do you believe? <sighs> I mean, they, like, we have did so many things badly. Um, I'll, I'm, I will put it squarely on the fact that I don't know that Todd Downing knew that it was raining. (laughs) Like, I think if, I think if he somehow, I I don't know if, I don't know what his deal was, but the fact that they were running it well, even when it was dry and they just stopped and decided, I know Tannehill's thrown at this point, let's say two interceptions, but let's keep going five wide and like keep trying to throw passes. Like that, that to me screams a misunderstanding of what you have, but like, I mean, it's so hard not to blame the wide receivers because you get, like I said, like Des Fitzpatrick, like you can go back and watch, like he just, like he's so not confident in where he's supposed to be that he's half running his routes mm-hmm. and he's just not fighting for the ball like he's supposed to. And like that, that's a problem in and of itself. But then you have Chester Rogers, like, like heel kicking a, a, a pun, like basically right to the Texans, like special teams player and just like, giving them an I mean giving them the possession the only yards the Texans had like in the second half was on that like after the muffed punt and the touchdown like everything else like until had to run that one in as well too like it wasn't like he threw a touchdown he had to run out he had to run that one in as well yeah and like I had people in the stands like screaming like oh why aren't they watching that and I'm like they're doing everything they can I'm like the defense is not at fault here but I mean, you got the what you know. Then on top of that, you have the injuries, and then I, I mean, it's just one thing after another with that group. But I mean, it's like it's hard not to blame them, and it's hard not to blame Tannehill for keeping it pressing. But I mean, when you get fifty-two pass calls, like I mean, this is not like they ran eighteen or twenty-two passes like they do sometimes. I mean, this was fifty. I mean, it was eighty percent of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like the Titans did run the ball well this game. They ran the ball twenty-five times, three hundred three yards, and. There was a little bit more than four four yards of carry. Uh, it was a big Dontrell Hilliard revenge game. You know, us in, yeah. in, in Houston Texans land, we were all expecting for Deontay Foreman to have a big game after he was drafted here in the third round and then was cut, you know, because he was in the doghouse. And then Brett Mouncer on practice squads and was with Tennessee last year and back there again this year too. And a lot, a lot of Adrian Peterson as well. And, like, I'm surprised by how many carries Peterson got just because he's by far and away the worst running back they have right now. And, like, you want to, you'd expect more Deontay Foreman in the outside zone scheme. And you can use Hilliard as the change of pace back. But uh, you mentioned kind of with Todd Downing. They've been you know, been a more, like, inside zone heavy team for an ISO and, like, lead team for whatever reason as well, too. Um, after this game on Sunday, 
Like, does this does this performance affect your idea of how the tying season may play out? Are you like more worried about them maybe only being like a, a one one round and out exit, or is this just kind of like a blip and this kind of happens over the course of a now a seventeen game season? Vrabel would never admit it, but I think he did the same thing this past week that he did against the Jets. I think he deliberately held players out who were close, who could have probably played if the game was really, really important. Like, I don't think Julio needed to be on injured reserve. Uh, like, I think he tweaked his hamstring and he probably would have done the same thing he's done all week, but they wanted him healthy for the stretch run. I think he's always very, if you have a concussion, you're not playing. And I get why he kept McNichols out and why he kept Swaim out and Davis out. Like, uh, that like I understand why he did that, but like guys like Jenkins, like I think he would have played. Like I think you could make the case for the uh, David Long to maybe have played. He didn't practice, but I, like I don't know. Like uh, the 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 way they're treating him makes me think they're more keeping him for the stretch run, but they don't want to put him on injured reserve. So I I don't know. Like it, it's hard. Like. Does it impact the, the way you see the team? Yeah, like if they if they have to trot out the same guys that they trotted out on Sunday, that yeah, they're going to score ten points in the playoffs and be out. But they should get Derrick Henry back. I, I believe the timetable is somewhere around week fifteen, sixteen. The uh, uh, defensive end, Demarcus Lawrence, for the Cowboys, who had the same in- injury as Henry, uh, is supposed to be activated off hour this week. And original reports this morning were that he might play on Thursday, but now it's looking like he won't play on Thursday, but mm-hmm. they'll rest him and play him on next Sunday. But if that's the timetable, that puts Henry coming back like somewhere in that 15 to 16. Then Diana Rossini said it this past weekend on Saturday. I think she said that there's optimism that Henry can come back first week of January. So if that's true, then you get Henry back first week of January and you get the bye week, or even if you don't get the bye week, that's 10, 15 days before he has to actually like go out and play football. I mean, if you can get him back and you can get Julio back and AJ Brown can play, then no. Like, I mean, I think, I think that, I think they'd be healthier than they've been all season. If those guys could all get on the, and the defense is playing at a higher level than they've played in four years. Yeah. Like, I mean, even if they didn't get any negative plays, like, I mean, Simmons, Landry, Autry, Bud Dupree, when he comes back, David Long, like they're playing really well as a group. And they finally seem to be communicating and understanding what that defense needs. Now that Mike Vrabel is not constantly like <laughs> messing with stuff. So that they, they seem like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost embarrassing at this point to say that like they, they look like a, tie, a Super Bowl team when they're healthy after they just lost, you know, to a one and eight team at home. But you know, uh, again, like, you know, you can't throw out the fact that they're common opponents and that the Texans, you know, the Texans know the Titans, like the Titans have most of the same people back on offense. And, you know, it, it was easier to shut down than it should have been. But I mean, I think you look at the teams they beat over the last five weeks, like, I mean, beating five playoff teams from last year, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Saints, uh, the Colts, and I'm forgetting somebody the Rams. Uh, and the Rams. Yeah, it's like, and most of those were on the road. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that, that, then the way they won them with defense and running game and like efficient passes, like that, that should travel. Like, even they did 
three of those where Henry had a broken foot or he wasn't on the field. So I, I have to think that they're still the same team. They just are just desperately they desperately need to get healthy and they need that bye week. Yeah, yeah, that's the way I kind of see it too. And like I think Henry looked hurt that second game against the Colts as well. Like he just didn't look like himself either. Uh, we had two kind of Texan centric questions from. Uh, listeners, one's from at J4M1N. He says, Cam Johnson, the best Texans player since first quarter AFC Divisional big play, Barcavius Mingo. Uh, the Texans <laughs> signed three good free agents this offseason. Malik Collins, who like a nice quarterback hit. Like a, he did the DeMarcus Ware yeah. half spin, you know, and he's been kind of like a little honey bear uh, spinning around through the middle of the field. And he's not that great in the run, but he's a good interior pass rusher. And he's like probably the best one they've had. Since Antonio Smith, if you don't include like J.J. Watt playing four-eye. But yeah, it's Cam Johnson, it's Cam McGregor-Hale, Malik Collins. And, you know, that punt that Cam Johnson had that stuck to the returner's foot, it was like a tight end sort of play, you know. Like that's what the tight ends tend to do, to be able to set up a short field goal. And then you have like a a third down run to score. And it was kind of the opposite end of it. The other question was from, uh, but yeah, I think Cam Johnson is, yeah, it's him and Cam McGregor-Hale are the big, or the big, uh, big, big player big play of the games of those you know, sort of kind of weird role guys that we have. The next one's mm-hmm. from at confused lefty. Did this result have more to do with Houston's defense being excellent or the Texans offense or the times offense being dreadful? And like, I think it's about, I really think kind of thing about this game was that they forced turnovers and it's hard to first force turnovers like on a consistent basis week to week because you have to capitalize on the offense making a mistake. But that being said, they've had 10 turnovers the last two games. They had nine for the course of last year and by forcing those turnovers and by getting out to an early lead, they were able to just kind of run the ball, limit the number of passes they had. And, and the best part of the Titans' defense is that front four pass rush. And they never had a really, like, a chance to get going at all because Tyrod Taylor threw the ball less than 20 times, you know. I think he had, like, 114 passing yards in this game. And so I think that was kind of the difference. And so I'm going to go with here uh, the Titans' offense being more dreadful than the Texans' defense being great. <laughs> I I lo- I. I thought, you know, I'm partial because I think Des King was cool in when he was at the Chargers, and I'm glad the Titans got him and are going to get the comp pick for him and everything. But, I mean, I thought he did really well. Like, I, I had people in my mentions talking about how he, you know, he looks so short and fat and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> he's I was like, he's eating us up. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I like, I, I like him a lot. I mean, y'all's defense did well. Like, that's the thing is, I can criticize the Titans offense as much as I want, but at the end of the day, like the, I mean, I think Tannehill still a good enough quarterback to where if you're not in the right position, yeah. he would have found the weak spot. Like I, I think that, like you said, not, would you say not? No, 10 takeaways in the last two games. Cause the dolphins game, like for those, I mean, like I said, some of it was on the desert Patrick running the wrong route or whatever, but it's not like, it was zone and you know, he threw it right to it. Like it was like the, he was in tight man mm-hmm. coverage on one and the other time he just got the ball taken away from him. Like, I mean, those are all good plays. It's just, I, I would have liked to have seen the Titans attack what the Texans were doing poorly instead of just th- trying the same stuff over and over, hoping that you could overpower them. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And like King's a, I like he's a player that's kind of designed to be a specific role and the Texans haven't put him in that role. They put him in the outside corner. And, like, he's not able mm. to, like, rid the ball, like, help down the run game. And he's more of, like, a star than an outside cornerback. And so he's had problem this year. But, yeah, the interception on the corner route was a great play. And it was a good example of divider leverage where 
you know, he keeps outside positioning, and then whenever he turns around the corner, he's sitting there waiting for the ball because he has safety help on the inside of it. But the defense is, you know, they can't get stops at all, aside from this game, of course, where they were able to get a bunch of third down stops. But their defense based on turnovers, and they force turnovers, they're good. And when they don't, they're really bad. And this was one of the weeks where they were able to. Um, do you have anything else from this game that you want to talk about specifically before we kind of get into some more of a like longer and grander discussion? Yeah, I thought Tyrod Taylor did, or Torod, however he'd like to be pronounce it. Like, I thought he did adequately, like, in the first half when it was dry, like, mm-hmm. when a quarterback should be throwing passes. Uh, but, like, I don't know, like, did the Titans do something to take, like, Cooks away? Like, I mean, I, I like, I, I don't... I, I don't know why there, that wasn't a bigger part of the offense. Yeah, I mean, Cooks has been the entire offense this year. Yeah. Like, not like... The entire passing offense, or the entire like he's been the whole offense this year as a as a wide receiver. He gets all the targets, he gets all the production because this is the worst run offense in football this year. Um, yeah, I didn't really see anything like watching the game. It just seemed like they went up early and they kind of tuckered and they were like, "All right, we're going to run play action boots and we're going to run outside zone and none of it's going to work really." And but in the first half, they like schemed up schemed open a bunch of like easy short throws, and they threw a bunch of targets to a lot of different wide receivers. But yeah, I'm not exactly sure why Cooks only had two catches this game. And that's something I'll have to go back and watch tomorrow whenever the the coach's film drops. Yeah, that other than that, I mean, the kudos to y'all for not fumbling, like because I I thought for sure there was a point there was a point there where the Titans had all the momentum and I just felt mm-hmm. like something was coming like that you know it was going to be like another Rex Burkhead run or something and then they were going to catch him in the backfield before there was a clean you know and I thought that was going to happen and never really materialized the way I thought it would but I mean kudos to the Texans Yeah it's funny that Rex Burkhead led the team in carries this week I think he had 18 but uh right Philip Lindsay had one carry for negative 3 yards and he's been like yeah. barely. I think he's averaging less than two yards a carry right now. But the Texans running backs, all the time I had, they had 32 carries for 55 yards. But I know for a fact they averaged 1.71 yards an attempt with their uh, running backs. And David Cole after the game said, "It doesn't matter that we didn't uh, run the ball well, but we ran the ball and getting carries is what's important." You know, so that's uh, that's the football team they're running right now. <laughs> Hey, there, there you go. Talk about getting away from efficiency. Yeah, <laughs> nobody's less efficient than one point seven yards per carry. It's it's <laughs> unbelievable that Rex Burkhead's having eighteen carries in two thousand twenty one, and we get to sit here and watch it every week. Is Cully is Cully coming back next year? Like, do you think he's going to be, or is he just the like the sacrificial lamb this off season? I thought for sure he would going into the year. I was like, there's not like a they could go zero and seventeen. They'll probably bring him back. Because he's here just, like, again, for culture and keeping morale high and that sort of thing. And then, like, yeah, like, you want to play football for David Coley because he's sweet and jovial and all that. But, I mean, just, like, some of the mistakes this year have just been so outrageous that, like, you, I don't think you can keep him around for another year. But I think it's, like, 50-50 at this point. Like, this game, he had that call where it was, you know, they ran it, they got stopped short. It was, like, fourth and six inches. You know, mm-hmm. and he calls the timeout to challenge it, even though it's really hard to return those. And it's like, it's fourth and six inches. Just go for it. Keep your timeout. Yeah. Go for it if you want to. It's not that big of a deal. So he burns the timeout and punts it. And so it's like, you see those happen every week. There's one, another dumbfounding decision like that. And so I think for that reason, you really can't. And the second issue I see with David Coley, too, is that 
you know, they signed all these veterans, and the only trade they were able to make was getting a 2024 seventh round pick from Mark Ingram. Well, that's it. And like that was, and so like maybe they get some comp picks next year. I don't really think so, but they signed all these veterans. They're not putting them in good spots to play. None of them panned out very well, aside from the three that we mentioned earlier. And so like, I don't know why like you want to go to Houston, you're trying to revive your career on a one-year deal as well. And so I think for those two reasons, I really couldn't. I wouldn't bring them back personally, but I think there's like a, a 50-50 chance that he comes back next year now. Whereas before, I'd say there's no way he's fired. Hmm. But uh, so the, going back to I, the, I just I. No, I, I was just going to say like I like he seems like the perfect guy to in five years be like, oh, remember before they got all those first round picks and made mm-hmm. these great moves Like this was their head coach. Like like it's kind of like the Ken Wisenhunt, like Mike Malarkey yeah, he right, is turning Mike... into where. It's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah just like, like that. Yeah, it's like, I mean, you know, it's like, he's a great guy, It's like, but we moved on and upgraded, and that's why we have three pro bowlers from this draft. The Jeff Fisher of of the Houston oh. Texans. You know, they went from Fisher to McVay and, and had those first-round picks as well, too. Uh, but that's another that's another another story for, I guess, a different day. But, yeah, I could see that as well. I Like, again, I just didn't think there was a chance they could be fired, but the mistakes here are just so egregious, you know. And I don't really think the players have. I think they have better players than what their record is, you know, right now. Even though they're only only have two wins, but just by like I don't know, they just the schemes been bad, the players been bad. They haven't been putting them in good spots, you know. And I think Desmond King's a good example of that. But how much outside corner he's played this year. So going back on what we talked about the Titans after this week, they play New England, Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, Miami, and Houston. Uh, there's three really easy games remaining. I think Pittsburgh's crappy, but they may sneak into the playoffs anyways. The Niners aren't very good, even though Garoppolo's played a little bit better the last two weeks, but I think some of that's because of opponent. New England's, you know, well-coached. They have a great run offense. They have a great pass defense. Their run defense is okay, and their pass offense is okay. Uh, but with these games remaining, do you think there's still a chance the Titans can clinch number one seed? And if they do, are you expe- would you be going to the postseason expecting like a Super Bowl caliber sort of run from this team? Yeah, I mean, it to me, I think all the simulations or whatever you want to read, like the the five thirty eights and all that, have it as a fifty percent chance that the Titans are going to get the one seed. The, the biggest game of the week for the or the weekend for the Titans wasn't the Titans game; it was the Colts beating the mm-hmm. Bills and knocking them basically out of that race. So, the if the Titans beat New England, I'm I would put a significant amount of money down that they're going to get the one seed. Like they would have a tiebreaker over new England at that point. It would be another AFC South win. They'd be at nine with Jacksonville, Miami and Houston. Again, hopefully they can beat, you know, hopefully we don't see a repeat of Sunday, but yeah, like if you can do that and get three more wins and get to 12 wins with the way the AFC is going with all the tiebreakers they have, like, Kansas City, Buffalo, New England in this scenario, like it, it, like I, I have a hard time figuring out how they wouldn't get the one seed. But like so much could change after this weekend. Like if the Titans win, they go into the bye week, get healthier, get guys back after the bye week, and then you load up and you beat Jacksonville and you're on a roll again. If they lose to New England, which feels likely at this point, then they have to go in for the first back-to-back losses of the season. They go into the bye week. They've got, you know, Pittsburgh, who, like you said, could be frisky. San Francisco, who's weirdly on a hot streak right now. 
like Miami, who seems like they're going to just be super aggressive on defense. Like, I mean, could they finish with 11 wins? Like, it feels weird. But, it, I mean, all in all, if you get the one seed and you tell me that Henry's coming back and he's going to be 90% of what he was and you're going to get Henry and Julio and A.J. Brown, like, all on the field together, then that's a Super Bowl winning team, especially if you give them – not. Not that they'll win the Super Bowl, but yeah. I could see those guys. I could see a Super Bowl scenario where they play a team and Henry gets, you know, 130. Julio and AJ both have 70 yards receiving, and that they win it in a 35 to 28 game. Like I, I can see that, but other than that, like if any of those guys are hurt long term or don't come back or don't look the same when they are back, especially if the Titans don't get the bye week, then, I mean, I, I think they'll be lucky to win a playoff game. Yeah, that makes sense. And I see that too. Like, I'm not, I'm not like in the idea that the Titans are screwed and they're not going to have like success this postseason. I think it's really like this game against New England's about running the ball 45 times, you know, and going back and running mm-hmm. the Arthur Smith offense, especially against um, a Patriots defense is like okay against the run. Like Christian Barrymore has been playing really great along with uh, you know, Godchove recently, and and uh, and Hightower has made a big difference as well too. And so that could change that game up some. But I still think I still buy Tennessee if they get the one seed to be able to make a deep run too. And it's funny, like I'm gonna go to that Week 18 Texans Titans game, and one of the things the Titans have been good at the last few years is just kicking the crap out of the Texans in the last game of the season. And Derek Henry gets 275 rushing yards and clinches the the, the rushing talent and all that. And that could be in play too as well this year. I, I mean, not funny for you, but how funny would it be if Derek Henry somehow comes back week 15, puts up, you know, 200 yards and, Breaks a you thousand. Know, in two games. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, yeah, like gets like, right in that conversation where we're talking like we did the last two years where it's like, if he has 200 yards, he could really like what in mm-hmm. like, it feels like a given. And then that they just ride him. But like, see, I see it the opposite way. Like I think of every time the Titans and Texans have played to end the season, it's like they needed that like big deep shot to AJ Brown yeah. with like 15 seconds left. And then I remember AJ McCarron looking like a viable quarterback for like a full half against the Titans before AJ made some great catches. Like, I, I mean, like I, to me, my nightmare is playing an AFC team in the last week, which you have to an AFC South team the last week of the season and it mattering somehow, because like, I just know the Titans will always play down to their competition. And if like, you put in a bunch of scrappy guys on the other side. I'm so worried the Titans will fold, but I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's going to be a really weird game. Like you could watch either the Titans getting the one seed or them getting the two seed and their season basically being over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I, see, I, I see that too. And like, yeah, that Brown catch, I remember that pretty clearly because that was against Eric Murray. Um, the funny thing about the McCarron game you mentioned was McCarron had an opening drive touchdown and all mm-hmm. year long, Bill O'Brien thing had zero opening drive touchdowns to Deshaun Watson at quarterback. And we're joking around like, this is the offense that Bill O'Brien always wanted to run. Was McCarron as the starter. And he now finally got his chance to do it for a little while here too. But yeah, they like the Texans and the Titans rivalry is weird because they like hate each other. You know, like the fan base say each other, the teams say each other and all that. But there's a lot of ties between both teams as far as like personnel goes and coaches and everything else. That's incestuous in a way. 
And then also, like, they're never really good at the same time either. Like, whenever the Texans are good, the Titans are bad. And when the Titans are good, the Texans are bad, except for that, you know, 2019 season. They've never really kind of meshed at the same time either. So, like, all the the classic Texans-Titans games are really more of a result of, you know, the game being dumb or the teams, you know, kind of being this weird thing or whatever, you know, that produces a surprising result. Yeah, I mean, it is is so weird that it's, like, the rise of J.J. Watt, like, like was basically the same time as like the fall of the Titans mm-hmm. for you know at the better part of a decade. Then JJ Watt gets hurt and the Titans start to get a little bit better, and then he heals up and they drop, and then he, he gets he gets <laughs> hurt again or like you know all that, and then he we just you know start to get better in there. But it and, is and you it saw is him week one this year and they get blown oh, out thirty one thirteen, like, and then he gets hurt yeah. and they go on the run again too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like. The Titan, like the Titans, can't coexist while JJ Watt is running around <laughs> healthy. So, I mean, you would think with him out and with TJ Watt out, we'd be Super Bowl favorites at this point. But just absorb whatever latent Watt power is sitting in the atmosphere. But <laughs> now we're we're just not putting it together right now. Uh, which former Houston Texan that currently plays the Tennessee Titans is your favorite? Dylan Cole, Ben Jones, Randy Bullock, Donchell Hilliard, Deontay Foreman, or David Questenberry? Uh, ben Jones for sure, but you're sleeping on Michael Pruitt. Uh, he played for the Texans. Tight end. Yeah, he well, he was on your practice squad. Oh, for two that's years, right. I, I Michael yeah, Pruitt's and, a good blocker. I like him. I, I mean, we let him go, and he went to San Francisco this past off season, and uh, like they cut him, and we picked him up, and I'm like, y'all should have kept him. Like, I mean, I think he he might lead the Titans in touchdown receptions. I'm like, yeah, he, he, I'm mad right now. He's I one of our Michael better Pruitt. blockers. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you said the names and, like, I I genuinely forgot that, like, uh, Dylan Cole played for, like, I don't know why. Like, and now that you say it, it's easy in my head. And I forgot Questenberry was on that team, too. But, like, I shouldn't be. Like, but you talk about incestuous. Like, Mike Vrabel brought a whole bunch of people over from Houston when he came over. You know, Shane Bowen, our defensive coordinator, was linebacker's coach with him and, uh, we've got Anthony Midget here, which, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure y'all weren't sad to part with him because y'all were like 32nd in DVOA when like he was on the defensive backs and then we sucked the next time. It, it, I, I still don't know if he's very good, but like it, there is a straight line between most Titans free agents and, and free agent coaches, I guess, and some Houston coach. Like they've either played for a Houston coach or they played with somebody that Mike Vrabel has coached with. Like, it's so weird, but yeah, you pointed them all out there and it's, you know, it's guys like David Questenberry and, you know, not Ben Jones luckily because he's good, but it's like Mike Vrabel has a clear personal connection with them and it clouds him to like who should be starting or not. Mm -hmm. But luckily they've, they've panned out more often than not. But I mean, Jonathan Joseph last year, he gave that guy eight games and he was like falling asleep on the field. (laughs) Yeah. Like it was, it was a nightmare. And they were like, well, they won't notice it's third and one. They won't notice him 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. (laughs) I'm like, hate this guy, man. Yeah. I'm very upset right now because I think I've written this list out like, you know, five different times the previous week, you know, just writing various things. And every single time I forgot somebody, I was like, I finally got it. I got every but, single former Texan in Tennessee, and of course, I forgot Michael Pruitt. I mean, it's it's. 
a hundred names. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody on there. It's just like, it's such a weird cross. It's like the Titans used to do that with the Colts too, where they would just take the Colts leftovers and we'd try to make them work. And that never worked. Like, it's not exactly like a, a murderer's row you listed, but I'm just, I'm glad we have Ben Jones and Pruitt. Yeah. The Ben Jones one hurt because the Texans haven't had a good offensive line since 2015. And that offseason they lost Ben Jones to Tennessee and like, Jones was at, like pretty good in Houston. Like he wasn't great at all, but now in Tennessee he's a great outside zone blocker and has been so for the previous four years. Like he made that block on the big Henry run whenever I guess that was last year, where it's like he just took a slider outside zone step and it changed the flow of the linebacker and it led to that Henry run play. And like there's just little things that he does like that. Like he's a really intricate game that's fun to watch the center position. And the Titans, like even though they lost. You know, uh, even though they lost Luan for a little while this year, even though they lost Conklin this past offseason, and they have consistently lost stars in their offensive line, they still always have a good outside zone blocking line, no matter what happens or anything's going on. How much of it is just Derek Henry makes up for a lot of it? And how much of it is just like you have a really good offensive line coach and they know how to scout players for that system? Yeah, I, like I have to give a lot of credit to Keith Carter, who's the offensive line coach. Like I hated him the first year because like the first year he was there, they had like an 11 sack game or something where it was, uh, I think it was Baltimore and they just ran all over us and it like, we looked lost and confused and you know, lo and behold it more often than not, his guys have panned out, but uh, I like it, it was a nightmare. So I was convinced he was gone, but He's bounced back, and he's got guys like Nate Davis, like it, from who was from Charlotte, third round pick. He mm-hmm. got him ready. There was, you know, Aaron Brewer, like you talked about. Like I, like Aaron Brewer looks great. Like there's a guy named Corey Levin um, from UT Chattanooga, who's older now, but uh, he was he did some of his better stuff when he was with us, and then like he came back to us, and he's there now as a backup. And then last year they had uh, Lawan was out, and they put in Ty Sambralo. And then Sambrallo went out and they put in Questenberry mm-hmm. and they never had a drop off. Like, I'm like, that's a good offensive line coach when you're on your third left tackle, you know, and you're still making stuff work. So that, I mean, but like you said, like part of it is the whole, like the thread of the whole package. Like it's easy to be an offensive lineman when defenses have to sit there and wait and see what you're going to do first. And you get two steps of advantage, mm-hmm. like they don't know if you're going to run outside zone or if this is a pass. They don't, you know, they don't know if you know this is some sort of reverse. Like it, all all the different things that Arthur Smith did last year, which is why I mean the the Titans gave up I think ten sacks to uh, the Jets this year because they like whenever they just stand straight up and say that's my guy, that's your guy, and point guys out, they get killed yeah. when they run their zone. Like, but that's not what they're supposed to do. Like if I gave you a fork and told you to eat soup, you'd look stupid <laughs> too. Like it's not like you got to know what the tools you have and when they're used correctly, they're great. And I don't put any of that on Keith Carter because I think he's doing everything he can with the guys he has. But these guys are clearly zone blockers. Like, you know, like you said, Aaron Brewer is like, I mean, 275. I mean, like he might be 300 on the scale when he eats a full meal and like has somebody pushing down behind him. But I mean, he's got to be one of the lightest guards mm-hmm. in the NFL, but he works when they run that zone. So, I, I mean, I, I put a lot of that on the whole package that when they're running what they're supposed to, it makes everybody look better. 
Yeah. Yeah, and like it's just been you watching the Texans play year in, year out, they like finally had consistency, continuity in the offensive line last year and they were terrible. And they finally invested in the offensive line transfer and they were terrible. And then this year they you know, did they got rid of some dead weight and they're still terrible. You know, and no it doesn't matter what they do, their offensive line is bad. They change offensive line coaches and they're still terrible. And then you watch the Titans who, you know, aside from Saffel, Luan and Jones, they have invested a ton in the right side of the offensive line. Um, and yeah, especially after Conklin left, and they're able to just like consistently churn guys in now, even after injuries, like you mentioned, being their third left tackle last year, and having Dennis Kelly come in for Conklin as well too. And then this year, you know, the same thing, kind of new guys all over again, and they still have success, you know, year in year out. Because I think one of the keys about the Titans is they know their scheme, they know their personnel, and they know how to run it, and they know the archetypes of the players that need to run it. You know, and the Texans so often just like try to do everything while being bad at all of it and putting guys in terrible spots you know, year in and year out. And you're kind of seeing the results that we saw again this past week where they had 1.71 yards in attempt. Where they try being outside zone team, that doesn't work. And they try run split zone, that doesn't work. And they, try run, they try run duo and that doesn't work. And they run inside zone, it doesn't work. And they run power and it kind of works. But then they can't run to the, to the other side because that guard can't pull it all. And now it doesn't really work anymore, you know? Yeah, I mean... And I, I don't mean to rub salt in the wound, but the guy who makes it all go is Ben Jones. Mm-hmm. Like Lawan has said it on the podcast. Like he said that like it, it, he could never play center because like he's at, like he's you know super athletic. And he talks about Ben Jones being sneaky, athletic, and strong. He said, but he knows where everybody's supposed to go. Like he knows play. Like he hears supposedly, you know, this is all hearsay, but it, he'll hear like like checks for wide receivers and like tags for wide receivers and he'll know where they're supposed to go so that if it's a quick pass, he knows that he wants to get out there and try to be in front. Like, yeah. I mean the, the level of detail that he supposedly has in the game and his, I mean, his just his personality. Like, I mean, he's scraping himself up the ground off the ground a lot when, you know, he practices every day. Like he, you know, he's not, you know, Lawan misses a bunch of practices and will play on Sunday. Jones, I, I mean, if he's missed a practice, it's because he might actually not play. Like, I mean, he, <laughs> he's dealing with something. Like, he he's seriously, like, I mean, he's just the, like, heart and soul of the team. And I think you need that. Like, I, I think that more than anything, like, having a smart people who have those intangibles, like, will do you almost as much good as having guys who – are uber athletic because like Mike you know, Lynch, I think is a good example of that. Yeah. Like guys like, uh, uh the, um, uh, there's another 49ers player that I can't, I cannot think of right now, but, uh, that where it's like, why take two, like just cause you're athletic to take two steps doesn't mean you need to take two steps on his own. Mm-hmm. Like just because that's not technically your guy doesn't mean that you can't, use a hand to like make sure he doesn't cross your face before you get to the second level, like little things that aren't in the playbook and nobody's going to tell you. But when you watch, like when you play long enough, you pick up like that, that's what he offers. And, you know, credit to him because there was a time where it was him and, um, uh, Quentin Spain was his left guard. Yeah, I like Spain. He's playing Josh pretty well Klein. in Cincinnati too. Yeah, like yeah, like that's. <laughs> I the forgot thing about like, Josh Klein. He had the he had the tricep oh tattoos. That was initials in Old English, which were hilarious. Oh, and he was like, pretty good, also. 
yeah, like like there was a year where they all were like really good and clicking, and then the next year, like they were all kind of hurt, and everybody was like, "It's all Ben Jones's fault," like it, because he's missed. And it turns out, no, it was just like Josh Klein couldn't get his pulls, and like you know, it was little things that he was doing wrong. And it's like, you know, despite like not always being a fan favorite he's like uh, turned everything around and now everybody loves him so i mean good for him yeah talk about a culture guy that's your culture guy yeah that's a great answer and i love hearing that like jones started off as a guard for houston and wasn't very good there i always think about this like monday night football game they play in 13 in san francisco and he was just walloped you know and they eventually moved him to center after um after i'm so old and stupid nowadays after the center of the shaved head retired, and I'm blanking on his name at the moment. Chris Myers, right? After, yeah, after Chris Myers retired, he slid yeah. in at center and had a really good year at Brandon Brooks next to him. They lost both those guys, and it's kind of falling apart. Um, I have one last question before I let you go, and I'm sorry. I'm upset we didn't get to hating Chris Ballard and kind of talking about the, the combination of two franchises. But uh, the big thing about the Titans that I think is interesting from a Texans perspective it's just because of the culture they have here, you know, and, and I think the offensive line is a good representation of it. I think like the Mike Vrabel in the, in the range wrenched and some of the other Mike Vrabelisms of a good example of as well too. But how much impact do you think the tying up culture actually has on the times year to year? And you think it makes that much of a difference for their you know, continuity and success. And you think in the NFL in general, do you think culture is a, a very like vital, important aspect of it? Yeah. Like, you have to be so careful when you say culture, like, because you, like you're right, but like people have, have turned it into like the Ian Rappaports of the world have turned it into like words you say to prop up guys that your agents tell you are good and that yeah. you want to get new contracts. But like genuinely it, Vrabel's what, no matter, no matter how much I hate it, it's not about who's the most talented guy. It's not about who's the best guy. A lot of the times it's who puts in the work, who makes a connection with the coaching staff to the point where they think that they're fully bought in, and it's who's there. It's like, you know, who's healthy. Like, Questenberry is a good example of this because he's obviously left a big impression on Vrabel and, you know, him overcoming leukemia and all that. Like, I mean – like it's 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 a big thing that Vrabel like talks about seemingly every year and it is important but like it's those kind of guys like sometimes it's great like sometimes it's Jeffrey Simmons basically convincing Vrabel that he's healthy enough and he doesn't need to go an hour and that you know he should play after six weeks when his timetable was to come back at 10 weeks from his ACL tear and before the draft and then he comes in as a sack in his first game because he's just fully bought in like you know it's the connection he has with AJ Brown where you know he AJ Brown talked about this last week where he had thoughts of suicide and he you know He's he and Vrabel have talked and, you know, have gotten not over that because, you know, you don't necessarily get over that. But he he named Vrabel as like a really like big influence on his life and, you know, a positive. It's like that kind of connection and culture where you feel like it's cheesy to say, but like when you feel like you're part of like a family or like a group unit and not just like a hired henchman, because that's what it used to be with the Titans, like back 
when Taylor Lewan first got here, that wave of new players, like it was very much like a bunch of hired guns out there trying, I mean, the Matt Hasselbacks, like, you know, those kind of guys where it's like you hire a guy for a year or two and like they know that they're either retiring or they're going to go somewhere else after that. Like that, that sort of culture is important. Like even if it doesn't always mean the best product in week one or week four, by the time you get to the playoffs and these teams have been around each other for months, you very rarely see a Mike Vrabel team collapse. Like they have such a solid foundation of the guys behind these guys know what to do. And they, you know, you'll get guys like Greg Maben who came out of nowhere and who'd been on the practice squad. And he had to start, he started more snaps against the chiefs than anybody else. And he locked down whoever he was against. Like, you know, you get these guys who come out of nowhere and make plays and become starters or are impact players when they're in because they fully buy in. And like, you know, like Johnny Smith, and then they go somewhere else because people say, I want that guy in my locker room. I want that guy to do what he did for the Titans. And then it doesn't translate because, you know, Mike Vrabel is not around him anymore. So yeah, I do. I do think a lot more than I did three or four years ago that culture is a big part of what makes teams successful. Yeah, that's a great thing to hear. I know, like one of the things about the Texans right now is that they're bad and the talent they're talentless at the moment, and they don't haven't had any draft picks the last two years because Larry Tunsil and they signed all these veterans. You know, they didn't really kind of go into the full youth movement. They did a lot of things that actively hurt them for the rebuild by restructuring contracts and not signing young players, these sorts of things. And they've kind of all been about like team, team, team and culture, culture, culture. And we've, we've mocked it a lot and we've laughed at it a lot. Um, but like, I think what, you know, exactly what you're talking about, what we saw in new England, you know, for, for a long period of time, I think that's what they're striving to do. But I think the other part of it that they're kind of missing is that you have to have like really good players as well too, yeah. that like allow, yeah. like you can kind of pick and choose where you want to put guys. And I think the outside, like all your answers in the outside zone stuff was you know, beautiful. And like that and Derek Henry allows you to do things like, Hey, we don't need to, you know, give a ton of money for three wide receivers because we have this set up or we don't have to, we can find a guard and mm-hmm. kind of in a weird way because like Aaron Brewer, or like Nate Davis in third round because Ben Jones is so good. And it's like you're able to kind of fill in holes in your roster because you have that elite talent. But by having elite talent, one of the things that that does is that it stays there for a long time. And then whenever you have a coaching staff that stays there a long time with it, you kind of get the answers the team that the Titans have right now too. Yeah. I mean, and like you say, talent kind of comes and goes. Like you can get great play, And players have different peaks. Like, I mean, there's a lot of times where like – you'll have a really talented player and, you know, they fit into the culture or whatever. They're not culture creators or anything like that, but they contribute at a high level and then they fade off. And it's like, if they're not guys who are fully committed and fully bought in, like as soon as their talent starts to dip, they're going to be really expensive and not, they're not going to be worth the money. Like, but if you got like, let's say the Titans get Ben Jones a two year deal like tomorrow and they sign $20 million a year or like $10 million a year, not 20 million. Uh, but you know, $10 million a year expensive for a center, not the top of the league, but like probably top 10, like, but what his ability to communicate everything, even if he gets a little slower and like, you know, that he's so bought into the culture and he's so committed to the team that he's not going to say like, I've lost a step. I'm not going to find a way, you know, I'm just going to count my money and sit in the back. Like the, having those guys who 
again, it sounds corny, but that's sort of Mike Vrabel's whole thing. But like guys who love ball and who don't necessarily do it just for the money, they do it because they're committed to being better. Like if you can actually sift through all the BS and find those guys, like that once you get four of them, like two on offense mm-hmm. and two on defense, like you're good. Like it, everything will fall in around it and you can pick and choose and get your Tyreek Hills who have character concerns. Like you can get your Odell's when he was with the giants. Like you can, those guys will fit because you have those anchors at other places. Yeah. And that, I think that also makes Texas fans sad hearing that because they're like, well, you had Watt and you had Hopkins and you had Watson yeah. and you had all, yeah, you did have that, but you're, it was like all the other depth decisions and contracts and you know, poor drafting the mid rounds and, Poor play calling that killed the team, even though like, the building blocks were there for everything else as well too. But yeah, that that was great though. It was very interesting because like I I love watching the Titans. I love the Titans. They're a lot. They're one of my favorite teams to watch. Like them in Buffalo are my favorite AFC teams. You know, aside from Houston, of course. But it was like it's hard knowing, like like I know a lot about them, but not to this extent. Whenever it's a lot different, when it's you know week in week out and and doing the the great riding and and the show you guys do is great as well too. So, well, I'm going to let you go tonight. It was great talking to you. Where can we find your stuff for the rest of the year as Texans fans try to sift for a, a playoff team and root for this this winter coming up? Uh, yeah, you can find my stuff at Titansized, all one word. Uh, or you can find me at, at jlomas72. Uh, feel free to yell at me if I say something mean about your team. Uh, I will 100% do it and – Right now, it's just going to be done out of sadness because the Texans beat the Titans, and that makes me a little bit furious and mostly sad. But yeah, like you know, everybody should cheer for the Titans. It's fun to watch them. Uh, if they if they actually ever have all their guys healthy, it'll be fun. To watch them. But you know, if not, come watch Mike Vrabel lose, and you can make fun of him. Like yeah, I, I don't have any problems with that either. Yeah, I'm still mad at him for punting in that Baltimore game, like he did. That was uh, that one really hurt my feelings. Yeah. He sure feels it has different times where he decides to have nuts and not, but that's, that's fine. Like he'll, you know, he's, he's great. That's the good thing about nuts though, is that they're always there. You know, you don't have to pick and choose whenever you, yeah. whenever you want to use them. They're always there for you. That's, that's uh, right. So until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bowery Radio. Thank you for being on tonight, Will. And make sure to follow Will. Check him out on Twitter. Um, you can always, it's always fun to hate on the Indianapolis Colts with him. And uh, and the work and stuff they do is is good too, and you know like I know you may hate the Titans as a as a beautiful little listener because of the ties between the Texans and everything else, but they're still a fun football team. There's a lot to learn from them, especially with the Texans team that's trying to you know chew their way into a beautiful culture like the Titans have right now as well. So until next time, thank you for listening to Bowery Radio. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.